It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talking Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Hello and welcome to the LaneCast. We will continue to talk about issues impacting farmers, ranchers, and rural communities here in the West. And we are going to be talking with rancher Jim Felton with the Felton Angus Ranch. And today we are highlighting part one of two in our conversation discussing the history of their ranching operation, how the winter of 2018 went, and also how technology and social media are changing how they reach consumers and educate them about the ranching lifestyle and also how they market their bulls to buyers. It's going to be a great conversation here today. And part two will also highlight issues impacting ranchers like Jim and the designated surveillance area and how brucellosis, bison, and elk impact the ranching way of life in southwestern Montana. But before we jump into our conversation with rancher Jim Felton, I would just like to remind everyone about the upcoming Montana Stock Grower Association mid-year meeting that's going to be held very soon, June 14th and 15th in Dillon, Montana. Yes, there will be policy and issues meetings taking place, but it is going to be an experience like none other. There's going to be a cattle baron gala that's going to help raise funds for the future of the livestock industry and education in Montana, and also a barbecue cook-off, a 500-horse parade, and topping things off Friday evening, the Preserving the West concert featuring Saints and Angels out of Nashville and Montana's very own Kyle Schaub and the Wacom Boys. For more details, just visit mtbeef.org. Don't go away. We'll be back with rancher Jim Felton right after this. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on the Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and other podcast apps. Now, back to the show. Well, let's get back to our show here today. Joining us is rancher Jim Felton with Felton Angus. Jim, how are things going on this beautiful day? I think you mentioned you got rain last night, but how are things going here today? Uh, you know, it's kind of been a really a wet spring here, uh, and uh, it's kind of ground us down to a halt here. We're uh, struggling to get cattle out pasture uh, with trucks, and, you know, our corn crop isn't in the ground yet. I haven't seeded anything. I think for the month of May, we're over six inches right now, and uh, it's just, uh, it, it's made a challenge. I'm not, you know, nobody nobody wants to uh, uh, cuss the rain, and I'm, I'm not doing that, but uh, it has slowed us up in the operation there, Lane. Now, let's talk about where your operation is at for maybe our listeners not from Montana, where it's at, the part of the state, and maybe a little history behind you and your family raising really good Angus bulls in that area. Grandpa, my Grandpa Raymond started the Felton Angus Ranch there, I believe, in 1952. That was started up there west of Missoula, Montana, in the Nine Mile Valley. We've since migrated east. Uh, We have uh, the ranch that I live on here with my family here at Springdale, which is kind of on the verge of south central montana southwest montana it's uh i guess basically whatever i feel like saying that day when people ask where we're located um we're 45 miles east of bozeman montana or exactly 100 miles west of billings montana we uh sit right on the yellowstone river here on interstate 90 we also have a second ranch south of mile city that's where my dad lives on the tongue river so we are just a registered angus uh, operation that uh, we sell bulls and uh, 
and some commercial cattle as well. And we have a bull sale every February, uh, second Monday of February here in Springdale. You know, we've been doing it a long time, and uh, we're still at it. So. Now, one thing about your operation there, uh, off the off the recorder here, I could say, before we started this, we were talking a little more about how you and your wife, Susie, utilize social media, whether that being Facebook, Instagram, and whether that is promoting your cattle genetics, what you do out on the ranch, or even some tasty recipes for cooking beef. Why did you get on the boat of promoting your family, your operation, and why is it important to you to share the message of what you do at Felton Angus Ranch? Well, I would say that the, the, one of the main reasons we got on social media was uh, was probably my wife. Uh, she's like, we need to get on this Facebook, and uh, that's kind of where we started was Facebook, and not a lot of people were on there as far as uh, ranchers or, uh, you know, bull breeders or, or you know, cattle operations. So we started there. I think we're, I don't know, I think we're up around like 16, 15, 16,000 on our followers on Facebook there. And we've since branched out. Uh, my wife's really big into Instagram now. I'm, I am not so much there yet on Instagram. Uh, I do a little Snapchatting. And we do this too, but I'll do, you know, bull of the day or, or whatever. Before the sale, we'll promote our bulls. And we've sold quite a few bulls from Facebook. But I think it's more important than just trying to sell people something. I just I think it's more important to kind of bring whoever's paying attention into ranch life, explain, you know, show them how things work on a ranch, uh, show them that we care for the animals and the environment, and we try to do our best as we can to take care of the animals and, and the land. And, you know, uh, agriculture right now, has been is a very easy target to pick on in the media as you well know lane and i think getting out there and, and, and kind of debunking that and uh showing them how we do things and uh i think it's a plus not for only our operation but i think uh agriculture in general we're proud to do it and we're going to keep doing it and just just try to shine a bright light on agriculture and, and tell our story and Jim, that's one reason that I wanted to start the LaneCast, this podcast that we are doing here today, is to be informative for the farmers, ranchers, and rural community members that are out there across the countryside that, you know, just want to learn more about what other people are doing in the industry. But I also know a lot of folks that aren't involved in farming and ranching that listen to this podcast, and it helps bring light to what we do out in the countryside. And that's why I just wanted to bring up uh, the remarkable uh, way that you and your wife really show off your operation, showcase your family. And it's just great to keep up with you all on Instagram and on Facebook. But for our livestock producers that are listening to this show today, how has the social media tool changed how you market your bulls? You mentioned that you do a few sales via Facebook to uh, to buyers out there. How has it changed and where do you see uh, the online presence of livestock marketing taking your operation and where the, in 10 years where all this is going to be headed? Well, I you know, times are changing. This year, I'm also, I not only Angus, we also do raise a few Herefords. We're getting into that side of things. You know, I was, I, th I contemplated, well, should I put the Hereford bulls in the sale? Do I really have enough to draw enough people here that would actually buy the bulls? I didn't think my numbers were quite there on the Herefords, uh, number-wise, or enough head there to make it pan out for me. So I just kept them, and I put a little deal out on Facebook there that I had Hereford bulls 
to sell, and I think I had them sold in about 40 minutes. And we've also taken a step forward as well. We always have, you know, it doesn't matter, at least you should um, have some bulls, you know, that don't pass that initial breeding soundness exam and, and, uh, and bulls that we don't have in the sale. And we go ahead and uh, we do what they call the timed auction deal now, Lane, and, uh, and people are able to just bid on the bulls uh, via text through their cell phones. And every year we do that, I'm selling more and more bulls that way. It's a good way to uh, kind of, in the spring, not every, you know, like this year, you know, a lot of guys, it was so bad winter-wise that some of these guys didn't even get to bull sales. If a guy paid attention to bull sale averages, you know, you got to the April sales where people were kind of melting out. They're like, wow, I got to go to the bull sale. I had, you know, I was snowed in. And you saw that uptick of averages on them bull sales later in the spring because the folks just didn't get to bull sales. So, you know, this year, you know, with that timed auction in May, like I do every year, you know, uh, a lot of guys called and said, hey, man, I tested my bulls. I didn't get to any bull sales. And, you know, they can just, from, you know, technology-wise, they can just sit there and they can bid over their phone. And if they get outbid, they get a text that says, you've been outbid. And they can, do you want to hit it again? And they have an option to bid or, or try to get another bull. So really what I see, and some of the, you know, some of the purebred auctioneer guys are probably going to cuss me for this, but in 10 to 15 years, there may really not be a need to have an auction per se. Um, you know, you could do a bull viewing day or something, and after that it's just all online bidding. And I could be all wrong on that, but the way the world's changing and technology, I think it's... Uh, it's going to get to the point where it's just do it from home, come look at the bulls one day, and have a week-long bid off, and no auctioneer, no field men, or anything like that. Some guys may be like, oh, Jim, that's never going to happen, but I, I would be surprised if that's what happens here, you know, like I said, in the, you know, another 10 years, 15 years. It may change change how things are marketing or marketed, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, you mentioned about... Uh how sloppy it was this spring, and how tough the winter was in 2018. How was it on your operation? How much feed did you go through moisture-wise? I mean, it was a pretty tough winter for most producers across our region up here in Montana. What, what was it like at your operation? Oh, yeah, it was, it was no uh, it was no vacation for sure. They uh, Everybody knows we get a lot of wind up here, so we had a lot of drifting. You know, feed bunks were constantly full of snow. We were shoveling them every day. It's hard for me to tell how much snow we got because the wind moves it around so much up here in the upper Yellowstone. But, you know, I think we had probably had to have three, three and a half feet that, you know, got drifted around. Uh, our feed lot is here, and that's where we feed our bulls. And I'll be honest, I have never utilized as much bedding this year. I mean, I've never went through bedding like I did this year. You know, we were good up till sale. And we end up wintering quite a few bulls because, well, the winter, you know, you get up north and stuff. And, you know, so we wintered a lot of bulls, more so than normal. But when it came down, we were still getting nasty winter there March, April. We was running out of bedding. You know, when you're wintering bulls for guys, you you know, you you know, we got to take care of them, make sure they're protected from the elements. And, and you couldn't buy a bale of straw anywhere in Montana. At least I couldn't find any. One of the last loads of straw we bought, we actually trucked in from uh, Idaho Falls, Idaho. And the freight bill cost more than the cost of the bedding. But I, at that point, really didn't have much option. It was a bad winter, and, you know, everybody got short of hay. And, and uh, I know we bought a lot of hay this year for our eastern Montana ranch. Uh, Dad, uh, you know, it was 40 inches on the level down there. And they don't get the wind, so none of that bared off. Plowing uh, feed lanes in the fields there to feed with uh, road grader. 
you know, we were good there until probably first of April or so, and then we had to start trucking hay out of Idaho down there because, well, there was really not a lot of hay left in Montana, and uh, what was available, uh, it was pretty high. The guys wanted a lot for it, and we were we were able to go to Idaho. We've got our own truck. Uh, we were able to haul hay out of Idaho, Mud Lake, Idaho Falls area, and haul it to our eastern Montana ranch cheaper than we could buy it in state, so that's what we did. Yeah, it was just a tough year. We just, you know, everybody, guys that bought bulls, talking to them when we delivered them, you know, and, you know, buying hay and paying people to plow them out all winter. He got, one guy told me, he said, my calf check is almost gone. So it could be a tough sled for some guys this summer and uh, and fall. And and like uh, we were talking there before you started, uh, you know, northern Montana's dry again. So they had a lot of snow parts of it, but whether that'll be enough to get a decent uh, dryland hay crop, uh, I don't know. Hay could be a premium again this year, and I, my gut is that it's, it's going to be. So I guess time will tell. That's what Dad and I were talking about. Uh, we He could probably run more cattle there on the ranch this year, but we need to get hay bought up. And last year we put up a lot of CRP. That could be emergency hay, and that CRP is actually coming out this year. It's going to get grazed, but we're going to be looking for a lot of hay because we buy most of our hay, and I think you, you hit that right on the head. A lot of operations went through one to two years worth of hay, I've heard. So I think the hay market is going to be pretty pretty strong here once we start these cuttings and uh, we're going to see a lot of hay moving around no doubt but also what we are seeing a lot moving around is water what is the water situation coming down the creeks and the rivers near you like right now and what what is on your mind right now in terms of flooding well that's a good question um yeah i was just over on the yellowstone we we sit right on the yellowstone i got a pasture right on the banks of the river uh when i kind of try to monitor that i've got a few bulls over there was just oh there's a lot of water running down the Yellowstone right now. I haven't heard much here the last few days, but I think it's like 21 to 25 CFS right now. I mean it's really cooking. Most of the draws are running water. We've got the ground subwater coming up from the river. I've got some lease ground of big timber that I farm or put up hay on. One field's 45 acre field. Uh, there's a branch of the Yellowstone flowing through it right now, so it's kind of changed my planting. Uh, I'm thankful that I didn't plant it, wasn't able to put any seed in the ground because it would be a, a wash, but you know, it's going to be as high as this river is. It's probably going to be end of June, maybe the first July before we put anything in the ground. So, you know, we've uh, on that field there, so we've kind of had to kind of make some phone calls and say, hey, what can I plant July 1st that would give us some pretty good feed come August and 1st of September? And, and so I think you know, which normally would have been like oats or something for hay there, I think we're going to have to shift over to something like a sedan grass or a millet of some nature to uh, be able to get it in that late and still get some crop off of it. You know, the Shield River up here, uh, which is the main one of the big tributaries coming into the Yellowstone up here, they've had a lot of flooding from Clyde Park down to the confluence of the Yellowstone, a lot of sandbags. We're just fortunate right now that we haven't hit 95 degrees. That would be that would be not really good. I think snowpack at Cook City this year was elite was well over 100 percent of normal. So, and there's a lot of snow in the mountains yet. So if we can keep them temperatures in the 70s, I think we can get by here with kind of what we're doing here. But if we spike up to 90, 95, well, we still got a big snowpack. It could it could still get ugly. 
Yeah, I was looking at the crazies there uh, driving north here this weekend and just looking at how much snow is still up there. And I was actually up the Shields Valley. I spoke at the FFA banquet up there in Clyde Park a few weeks ago, and the water was just ripping down the valley there. And you mentioned about being delayed in planting. There's not a lot of corn that's planted in Montana, but a lot of it is planted along the Yellowstone River, longer uh, growing conditions there. How is that going to impact you uh, being later, not or planting corn a little later than usual? How is that going to impact your yield and those varieties that are able to uh, grow a lot faster uh, here up in Montana? Uh, I'm no corn expert, uh, Lane, but, uh, you know, I do plant quite a bit here at Springdale, and I know there's quite a few, a little bit, quite a bit in the Gallatin now. Uh, talking to them guys, you know, there's not much corn in the ground in the Gallatin Valley. Just it's just too wet to do anything in the fields. Um, I know some guys around Columbus Park City got a little bit of water on some freshly planted corn that could potentially, I'm guessing, would probably kill the seeds or rot the seed out. I, as far as I, you know, I, I kind of started with a 90-day because we chop silage, and the corn seed I got here in the shed right now is an 85-day and they're calling for more rain tonight and I just texted my seed salesman and seeing what he's got for 75 to 80 day corn now because as we get farther and closer right now it's looking I'd be I mean if everything if it didn't rain anymore I mean I'm looking at earliest I could probably plant would be early next week and that's you know that's June 1st or you know very beginning of June so it could very well be that I'm down to a 75 or 79 day corn here real quick and and if it keeps getting wet all the way through the middle of June and not doing nothing then I'm gonna have to seriously think about doing something else but yeah you just you just kind of keep backing the the relative maturity corn down and and hopefully we can get it in and still utilize like a 80 or 79 day corn and those are just some of the challenges that ranchers like Jim Felton are facing here in 2018. Our next Lane Cast will feature part two of our conversation with rancher Jim Felton. We will be discussing brucellosis, bison, elk, and Yellowstone National Park. So make sure and stay tuned in to the Langcast for our continued conversation with rancher Jim Felton from Springdale, Montana. Don't forget to subscribe to the Langcast and check out Jim Felton by visiting Felton Angus Ranch on Facebook. Till we meet again, I'm Lane Northland, your voice for agriculture. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.